The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. So my family likes to read on the evenings when we can. You ever do that? You should try it. Read aloud with your family. It's fun. And good stories build good perspective and courage. So we've been reading The Hiding Place. Anybody ever heard of that one? The Hiding Place, I recommend it. Try it out, all ages, okay? Especially if you're Dutch, because the heroes are Dutch. So there you go. Um, we've been reading The Hiding Place, and for those of you who don't know, it's a story about this lady named Cory Ten Boom, um, who during the Nazi occupation, she and her family of simple watchmakers become leaders in this underground movement to save Jews from extermination. And so these just very simple people um, just all of a sudden are involved in, uh, in this heroic effort. Anyway, of course, they get caught. And the other night we were reading a section where Corey is in jail awaiting her trial. Okay? But inter- interestingly enough, as she's being interrogated for this trial, she builds somewhat of a friendship with the uh, overseeing officer in her, in her case. His name is Lieutenant Roms. And you, and you watch and you see in their interaction with, with one another how moved he is by her example. He is moved by her example because he knows she was willing to do what was right no matter the cost. She's paying a huge cost for doing what was right. And he's seeing that. And whereas he himself, he is racked with guilt because he knows What he's doing is wrong. He actually says to her, Corey, there is great darkness in me. What can you know of a darkness like mine? He says that to her. Then later, he also says to her, Miss Ten Boom, it's possible I appear to you a powerful person, but I am in prison, a prison stronger than this one. That's interesting. From the outside looking in, who's in prison? Corey, in solitary confinement, nothing to eat behind bars, or the powerful Nazi officer who does whatever he wants? Which one's in prison? Which one is free? Well, it's very clear to the officer, the prisoner, Corey, she's the free one because she was willing to do what was right despite the cost. And he, though he has this power, he's the one in jail in deep darkness, because he, he knows what's right to do. He knows that what he's doing is wrong, and yet, what would the cost of repentance be for Lieutenant Roms? What would the cost be? It would be the ultimate cost. Corey said, I'll pay the ultimate cost. Lieutenant Roms, I don't know the rest of his story. He said he wouldn't. So here we are, 80-something years later. I don't know Lieutenant Rom's story, but I'll, I'll ask this question. Do you think he right now wishes he repented? Right now. First of all, just how your theology. You think he's still around right now somehow? Not in this earth. Is he still existing as a person somewhere? Yeah, we believe the soul, right? Goes on. And it still have a consciousness. Does he still look at his life and wish certain things of it? 
The Bible certainly seems to say that. What do you think, 80, 90 years later, what do you think he wishes he had done? I don't know what he did, but what do you think he wishes he had done? Repented. How, how badly do you think he wishes he repented? Really badly. And the cost he would have had to pay to repent back then, how steep does that cost look now, 80 years later, now that he's already dead? For him, it was, if I repent, I'm going to die. And the Bible might say, well, in you know, a couple, couple decades, you're still going to die. What we see here is, okay, listen, none of you are officers in the Nazi regime. If you are, please contact me after the service. But I think everybody in here has had that moment of what this text is talking about, grief. The moment of grief, Lieutenant Rahm's had the moment of grief uh, when he saw with clarity all of a sudden. He saw himself with clarity. And so all the excuses, they went, and all the rationale went, and he saw himself with clarity and he had this grief of, I'm doing something wrong. I know it. I know this is wrong. Grief. Have you ever had that moment of clarity? Where you, uh, these are, there's literally millions of these in our lives. A moment of clarity where you get exposed and you see yourself for a moment. And, the, and there's a moment where the excuses went away and you realize, I'm, my heart's not right. I'm feeling things that are wrong. I'm saying things that are wrong. I'm doing things that are wrong. Or I'm not doing something I know is right. I know this is right. I'm not doing it. And you feel this, ah, and this tension, the, the, the grief the, the Bible talks about, our passage talks about. We've all had these flashes of clarity. The question is, what will we do with them? What will we do with that grief? And by the word grief here, I'm saying a flash of clarity. Your conscience is shouting at you that either you're not doing something you should be doing or you are doing something you should not be doing. But you feel a regret, a grief. It's going to happen to all of us. Maybe it's happening to you right now. What will we do with it? Well, I know it happens quickly for me. So I'm the example of the, I'm a bad example for you right now. You have this flash of clarity, but then you think, oh, there's nothing really I can do. Or to really change this, it would just be too hard. Even God can't expect that from me. It would just be too hard. Anybody else, you have these thought processes, you get exposed and you're like, this would be too hard. You're Lieutenant Roms. I can't face the cost of what repentance would mean. Be too hard. Or you, or you do, and this is a good one for me, I just postpone it. Oh, I'll definitely deal with that someday. Not today. Later. <laughs> and then you kind of numb back up again and the walls come up again, and the filters come up again, and the grief is gone, and you march right through your life again, and you've buried this sense, I need to repent. All this adds up to this important point right here. It takes courage to repent, doesn't it? It takes courage to repent. We've been studying through 2 Corinthians. Our series is called Of Good Courage because life is hard. It was hard for Paul. It was hard for the church. And we need courage, 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 courage for a million things. And today we see courage for repentance. Jesus wants to give us strength. 
to do what he calls us to do, to be who he's made us to be. And today it's courage for repentance. You know, our passage today, you probably noticed, it's very emotive. Paul's talking about love. He's talking about his depression that he had regarding this church. And this great joy that he had, that the heading on my passage, what is it? Right over verse two, chapter seven, verse two. Paul's joy. He's so, he, finally, he finally comes in contact with Titus again. And Titus tells Paul how the church responded to his hard letter he sent him. And he said, I had regret when I sent the letter, even though I don't regret it. Did anybody see that part? And you're like, what are, what's your problem? Are you regretting or not? Well, come on, you know this. Have you ever said, you know you gotta say something to somebody. You gotta do it, and you say it, and then afterwards you're like, oh, I almost wish I hadn't said it. Not necessarily because you were wrong, because it hurt them. You didn't wanna hurt them, and now there's... But then, so, so Paul's in depression over this. It says, I was afflicted over this. Then he hears Titus comes back with him and says, hey, guess what? I got the greatest news. And Titus' news for Paul is the church repented. They turned. They've repented. And Paul is like, yeah. I mean, this emotive language, I'm so happy that you've repented. So that's what this passage is about, the beauty of real repentance. So this is what I want to do this morning with you. I want to remember the value of repentance. I want to guard against fake repentance. See the beauty of real repentance and then find some courage to repent. But before we get there, just does anybody have anything to repent of? You know, anybody out there like, no? Nothing. I would imagine you have a couple things um, that need repentance. Me too. Like a thousand. Ask the Lord to show you one or two. One or two that stand out. Ask the Lord for his loving grief. The grief of, I'm seeing this for what it is. And fight off the excuses for a little bit. And fight off the hard implications it might mean for you for a little bit. Just ask him to show you, and let's, let's walk through this passage with the Lord Jesus. Because Christian repentance is sweet. It's sweet. So that's what we want to see here today. Value of repentance, guard against fake repentance, the beauty of real repentance, and then find some courage to repent ourselves. Okay, so now the value of repentance. I'm just going to do the tiniest survey of repentance in Scripture. Look at this massive need in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 14.6. Ezekiel 14.6, God says to Israel through his prophet, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, what? Repent. Turn away from your idols. Turn away your faces from your abominations. Remember that to repent, uh, nutshell of that word means to turn. So they're worshiping idols and living according to those systems, and the prophet's like, turn Turn where? Turn back to me. Turn. But this, this was the needs of, of, of God's people in the old covenant. They need to repent. Here's three lines from Jesus, just the briefest lines from Jesus. What's Jesus seem to be talking about? Here's his first sermon, Mark 1.15. Jesus' first sermon. The time is fulfilled. Kingdom of God is at hand. What does is, what is everybody need to do? Repent and believe the gospel. 
So, so believing the gospel includes repentance because you're turning from something to something. You're turning to Jesus. Repent. Repentance is the essential response to the gospel. Uh, by the way, who's repentance for? Luke 5, 32. I love this. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There's nobody in this room who needs to be disappointed by this line. <laughs> Did you see my backhanded compliment? I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There's nobody in this room who needs to be disappointed by this line. Because how many of you in and of yourselves are righteous? No. Um, so this is Jesus sticking it to the self-righteous religious leadership of his day. If you think you're righteous without me, you don't know how in trouble you are. However, the good news is, if you're a sinner, if you've messed things up, if you've rebelled, if you're broken, I have come to call you to what? Repentance. Turn toward me. I've come to call you. And it's pretty serious. Luke 13, 3 repeats this line several times in the chapter. I tell you, unless you repent, what happens? You'll perish. Really important stuff to repent. We're gonna see that same importance in this passage. Anybody remember Martin Luther, great leader of the Reformation? The first of his 95 theses, remember that story? He supposedly pounded that thing up on the door of the church. This is gospel truth right here, he pounds it up. Guess what the first one was? Luther wrote, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of what? Repentance. We never, you stop repenting when you stop sinning. Which means in this life, you don't stop repenting. For sure, there's a capital R repentance when you convert the major repentance, amen. You become a Christian. But then there's little r repentances all the time, as often as possible. But I just, you know, as we, how important is repentance biblically, just from our, my eensy-weensy survey? It's essential. It's the essential response to the gospel. So if that's true, if you're a Christian, um, how open should you be to this process? How familiar should you be with this idea? How practiced should we be in repenting? Experts, this is our, this is our best friend. This, this should be a, a, habby, a, ho, a, a hobby, a habit. Did I, did I just invent a word? A habby. It's a hobbit that's a habby. Hobbit, habby. My point is, we should repent a lot. Let's think about fake repentance. Fake repentance. Paul says something really amazing here in verse 10. You see in verse nine, he mentions the letter, but I'm rejoicing, verse nine, not because you were grieved, it's not that you're sad, that's not why I'm happy, but because you were grieved into what? Repenting, you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. And then look at verse 10, chapter seven, verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces what? Death, death, worldly grief produces 
death. So again, in context, it's amazing. Uh, who's feeling the grief in this? Uh, do, do Christians feel grief? Godly grief? Does the world have a similar kind of grief? Listen, the grief here in context is you got exposed for doing something, believing something, saying something wrong, not doing something right. And so the grief is caught red-handed, spotlight on you. You see it. I messed it up. Grief. Christians have that. Unbelievers have that. Christians can fall into a bad version of it. And it, how serious is it? You tell me. Worldly grief produces, it doesn't say bad feelings, financial difficulties. No, death, that's kind of heavy. So this is important, that we not get caught up in fake repentance. So worldly grief, well, what do you think worldly means? It means of this world, this world only, this world exclusively. So you get caught red-handed and you're, Embarrassed that you got caught. Anybody ever been there? I live in this world. I'm embarrassed I got caught. Um, you're embarrassed for what it means for your company or for your relationships or your reputation. Yeah. Or you had this view of yourself, and when you got exposed, you realized, I'm a fake. I've had all those. Or you're sad you've hurt somebody. I hurt this person. I regret that. Yeah. Okay. None of that is enough. That might even motivate change in your external behavior, right? I don't want to get caught again. I don't want to hurt the person in the same way again. What's missing? What's missing in that kind of grief? Just God. Just God. And by the way, if God's missing, you're doing it wrong, right? Doing it wrong. So look at, I was thinking of different versions of this, of worldly grief. Number one is the sorry but not changing. Sorry but not changing. Come on, you ever had a relationship? Somebody keeps hurting you in the same way over and over again. You confront them and they might say, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. And then what do they do? They do it again. I thought you were sorry. I am sorry. Are you going to change? No. I remember I got to speak at a college once, and I was talking about um, sexuality issues. And a um, kid came up to me, real bothered. I'm struggling with looking at stuff I shouldn't look at on my phone. Really struggling. I said, tell me about your struggle. He said, well, I feel really bad about it. Tell me about your struggle. I feel really bad about it. Tell me about your struggle. I feel awful about this. Do you see what's missing? I feel really bad that I'm doing it, but I have no plans to change anything. That's worldly grief. That's worldly grief, and, and Christians fall right into it. The, the trick for our hearts is we can feel good about how bad we feel about something that we're not going to change. Oh, I'm so sorry. I feel terrible about this. And I feel really good that I feel so terrible. And I'm going to do it again. It's not real repentance. Guess again, who, who's it missing? God. It's missing the gospel. 
Tim Keller talks about religious repentance. Religious repentance. So just to sum up what he was saying, you know, a religious, it's so easy, it's so easy for us to have, you know, the pharisaical heart, right? Whereas in the pharisaical heart, how do you get right with God? How do you make God like you? You gotta, you gotta do stuff, you gotta follow the rules, right? It's the heartbeat of every religion on the earth. In order to be right with God, I have to accomplish something, I have to do something, okay? And it's really a broken system because you're not actually keeping God's laws and if you were focusing on those, you never could do it. Nobody can make themselves right with a holy God. We, we just can't, we're, we're broken sinful people. But that pharisaical heart is still trying and, I, and I'll admit I have that tendency so how does, what's religious repentance look like? Well, in a gospel of works, and again, that, that's earning your place with God based on what you've done. In a gospel of works, salvation becomes a trade or something that you've earned, right? So it's deal-making with God. God it's, it's as if, this is what we think God is saying, it's as if God has said, I'll make you a deal, you be a good person, I'll let you into heaven and all that, give you a good life. And so our deal is, all right, God, I'm going to do stuff, and then if I do this stuff, you owe me. And the way that looks in modern American religion is, if, I, if I'm a good person, you owe me an easy life with money and health and happiness and children and a good marriage and cable TV and everything else. Tell me this is not in our hearts. God, I went to church every Sunday. How dare you not give me the good, easy life? You said you'd give me if I was a good person. And God's like, where, where did we write this deal? Anyway, the religious person, when they're caught, when they're exposed, oh my gosh, I've sinned. If, they're in that, if their heart is in that works religious thing, now it's, now it's rough because now God is going to punish me for not keeping the standard by, by taking away my easy life. And so what do we do now? Well, it's, God, I'm, I'm so sorry, please don't, please don't punish me. Please don't take this away. Look at how sorry I am. Please keep blessing me in the way I need you to bless me. What's the motivation on religious repentance? Isn't it totally selfish? Is the, is, in religious repentance, are we sorry for what we did or are we sorry for the consequences that might come because of what we've done? The consequences. Now, I'm, I don't like consequences. I always thought it was bogus when dad's like, this is gonna hurt you more than it's gonna hurt me. He's like, baloney, okay? I don't like hard consequences, but I know a little something. If you only are sorry because of the consequences, you're not really sorry. It's not real repentance. And so, if you're looking at your own life and the need to repent, Here's two versions of the fake worldly repentance we need to guard against. The sorry, but I'm not going to do anything about it. And the kind of religious, God, I have to earn something before you. If I'm really sorry, will you go easy on me? Those are worldly grief, and what do they get you? Death. They get you death. The amazing thing is you can be sorry about your sin in a way that leads to death. So this is, uh, what do you think? Is it important how we repent? It's real important. 
So what then is real repentance? Well, I'm still in 9 and 10, specifically verse 10. He says in verse 10, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. How important is that first word, godly grief? You know, worldly means no God, get the real God out. Godly means it's full of God. God's all over it. God's in it. God's honored by it. God's here. Godly grief. Look at Psalm 51, verse 4. Psalm 51, verse 4. Uh, who wrote Psalm 51? Any Bible scholars? If anybody asks you who wrote a psalm and you're not really sure, just throw out David and you, you got a decent chance hitting the board. Who wrote Psalm 51? David. Yeah. Um, Great. What's it about? He, he's repenting because of what he did with Bathsheba. And you remember that train wreck, right? Committed adultery with somebody else's wife, had people murdered, etc. Look at what he says in Psalm 51, verse 4. Against you, you only, have I sinned. Who's the you there? In verse 4, God. Now, he doesn't mean he didn't sin against Uriah or Bathsheba or everybody else. That's not what he's saying. But ultimately, who was his sin against? I sinned against God. That's my problem. It's not that I got caught. It's not that I got exposed. It's that there's this God who's holy and righteous, and I turned from him. I demeaned him. I betrayed him. I broke this relationship I had with him. It's you I've sinned against. There is a relationship with God that he treasures, and the deepest pain for him in his relationship is, I've denied God. And so the first thing that should land in godly grief is, maybe you hurt your friend, your spouse, your coworker, you didn't do what you should have done, you, you, all these other things. Ultimately, what is this about? You turn from this God who loves you. You didn't, you didn't trust him. You wouldn't obey him. You didn't believe in him. You didn't believe he'd care for you. You didn't believe he'd give you the power you need. You didn't look to the gospel. It's not about God anymore. So real repentance has godly grief. It's God-centered. And then, not only that, it runs to the gospel. This is in the context of 2 Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 20 to 21. I don't know. Maybe my favorite verse is in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 to 21. This is how you repent. We implore you on behalf of Christ, what? Be reconciled to God. Reconciliation is a friendship term. In sin, God, I've broken my relationship with you. I didn't care. I denied you. I despised you. I want to be close again. I want to be clean again. And God, through his apostle, is saying, let's be reconciled. And how do you get reconciled with God? Oh, man. The biggest, most beautiful, most important thing there ever was. How do you get reconciled with God? Verse 21. For our sake, he made him, the Father made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, first thing. What did you do in verse 21? What is your heroic activity? Look hard. Mountains you got to climb, flagellate yourself. 
Anything in there? What do you do in verse 21? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. What has God done in verse 21? He's loved us. It's for our sake. He, the Father, made Jesus to be sin. Jesus knew no sin. He never sinned. He never thought it, never felt it, never did it. But he was treated like your sin, my sin, on the cross. He became sin. You think about the worst thing you ever did and how foul it was and what you deserve for that. And then all of our worst thing ever. And you think of all of that on Jesus, taking it for us. So that as Jesus takes our sin, what do we get? His righteousness. His righteousness. Where God will look at you and say, you're forgiven, you're washed white, you're clean. It's like you never sinned. Come into my presence, let's be friends. How do you repent? You realize your sin ultimately is against God. It's God-centered. And then you run, you run to the gospel that you're loved. What do you have to do to atone for your sin? Nothing. Because his atonement was enough. Run to the gospel. Take your sin seriously before a holy God. Take his love seriously on the cross. Do you hear that? What's the first step? Take your sin seriously before a holy God. It was about him and you. Step two, take his love seriously on the cross. I think these words from Keller are helpful. Listen to this. The more we feel loved and accepted in the gospel, the more and more often we will be repenting. You think that's true? Although there is some bitterness in any repentance, in the gospel there's ultimately a sweetness. This creates a thoroughly new dynamic for personal growth. The more we see our own flaws and sins, the more precious, electrifying, and amazing God's grace appears to us. On the other hand, the more aware we are of God's grace and our acceptance in Christ, the more we are able to drop our denials and self-defenses and admit the true dimensions of our sin. So the gospel tells you the truth and gives you the way to repent. Number one, the fact that Jesus is on the cross, what does it tell you about yourself? You're a sinner and it's awful, right? Did God give Jesus a hand slap for your sins? It wouldn't have been enough. He poured out his wrath on the, your sin is terrible. Admit your sin before a holy God. But at the same time, Jesus on the cross shows you your sin. He also shows you something else. You are more loved than you can ever imagine. You are more loved than you can ever imagine right here, right now, even as a sinner. And that love frees you to admit your sin. It frees you to turn from your sin to the one who's died for your sin. You want a case study for this in scripture? Luke 19. Luke 19. Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus? Sunday school taught you? What do we know about Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up into a sycamore tree. Why? The Lord, he wanted to see. It's true. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, so he's the bane of his society. 
He's like a mafia boss. Every sin there is, he's done it, paid for it, bought it. He's wicked, he's evil, everybody hates him. He, this, is that, this guy tends to be, happens to be short too. It's funny that Luke put that in the passage. Uh, only because it's true. So Zacchaeus has to, he just wants to see Jesus. What do you think he's expecting as Jesus walks by? Do you think he's expecting to have a word with Jesus? Do you think he even really wants to have a word with Jesus? Maybe deep down in there, but that's too scary. <laughs> I'm a tax collector. <laughs> but I'd love to see him because he's so different. I just want to see him. So Zacchaeus takes the risk of showing up. Everybody's like, wee little man. They're not giving him a view. So he climbs up in a tree. That's how bad he wants to see Jesus. I mean, he's this rich old guy, dignified supposedly. He's climbing in a tree. I just want to see Jesus. And then Jesus blows everybody's mind by walking up to the biggest sinner in the city and saying, bro, I am coming to your house right now for dinner. Um, there's a reality here that's also symbolic. How many of you, if I was like, I'm coming over to your house for lunch right after service? Some of us would be like, I didn't clean nothing. I don't have any food ready. You can't come over. I don't know how clean Zacchaeus' house was. But think of it symbolically. Jesus said, I'm coming over to eat with you right now. Ancient Near East, you have table fellowship with somebody. That's relationship. I accept you. I love you. I care about you. Jesus said, I'm going to eat with you right now. And what is Zacchaeus thinking, like some of us? My house is a mess. <laughs> you can't come in here. I'm dirty. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. And all the crowd is looking at him like, Jesus can't go eat with this person. And Jesus says, I'm coming to you right now while you're a sinner. And I'm fully coming to you. I'm going to eat with you right now as a dirty sinner. Because I love you. Look at Zacchaeus' response, Luke 19, verse 8. Just back up first, though. Which happened first, Jesus loved him or he changed? Write it down on your heart. What happened first, Jesus loved him or he changed? Jesus loved him. Is Zacchaeus feeling that love right now? Jesus publicly just said, I'm gonna eat at your house. He wasn't like, hey, uh, Peter, could you pass a note to Zacchaeus? Tell him I'm going to eat at his house, but I don't want everybody else to know I'm going to eat at his house. You know what I'm saying? Because he's a tax collector. Is that the way Jesus played it? Text message. Can you get his number? I'm going to eat at your house. No. In front of everybody, I'm eating at your house. Who saw Jesus loves Zacchaeus? Everybody. It made the Bible. Look at Zacchaeus's. I, I love Jesus for this. I need Jesus for this. He's not ashamed to fully love horrible sinners. I need him for this. You know why? I'm Zacchaeus. So are you. Look at Zacchaeus' response. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half my goods I give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. He's the son of Abraham. He's fully in. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus loved him first. Zacchaeus was so moved by the grace of Jesus. What was his response? 
Repentance. How great a repentance. How great a repentance. I'm going to overpay what I owe these people to show them I'm so sorry and Jesus has made me different. I'm restoring everything as much as I can. I'm repenting. So amazing. He didn't earn Jesus' love by repenting. He felt Jesus' love, and that exploded him into repenting. Because you're loved, you repent. So real repentance, it starts with this godly grief. I've sinned against a holy God. He's the issue, the big issue. And then it runs to God's love in the gospel of Jesus Christ, where you are loved as a sinner. And the more you are washed by his unconditional love for you, guess what it'll stir up in your guts? I'm gonna repent. This is what Paul is celebrating. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11. Godly grief, repentance according to the gospel. Look at verse 11. See what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. Also, what eagerness to clear yourselves, indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal. It says punishment. That means uh, longing for justice. At every point, you've proved yourselves. So what's the response to their repentance? Are they kind of like apathetic? Boy, oh, okay, whatever. Or are they going after this hard to show they've been changed by the love of Jesus? Aren't they passionate about it? That's what Paul's celebrating. Okay, repentance, it's a big deal, it's important. It's the essential response to the gospel. Number two, watch out for fake repentance. Sorry, but not changing. Religious repentance, God, uh, look, I can earn something with you. No, real repentance, broken heart to God, where you, you see your sin before him, and then you run to his unconditional, undeserved love for you, in the cross of Jesus. And as you, an undeserving sinner, are washed by the love and acceptance of Jesus Christ, it, it shoots you out into this passionate desire to glorify and honor Jesus in what you're doing. That's real repentance. So, where do you need to repent? And do yourself a favor, don't say things like everywhere, because that's too hard. Pick one thing, one detailed thing, it could be the way your heart feels about somebody. You're bitter towards somebody. You haven't forgiven them. Repent. You said something to somebody. It was harsh. You need to go back around and apologize. Repent. God's calling you to do something. If you won't do it, you're afraid. What is it? Repent. Just, I hope the Lord's speaking to you. What is he calling you to do? Repent. Because you're loved. Not to earn his love. Because you're loved. Now let's look at some courage to do this. Courage. So we want to pump ourselves up here. Okay, I got to repent. It's going to be hard. This is what I got to do. A couple reasons repentance is worth it. Verse 10. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. First of all, what's salvation? You just have a new life with Jesus. Your old life is dead, the condemnation's over, your sins are forgiven, you're a child of God in Christ, you're saved. Repentance leads there, it's the roadway to it. You want to enjoy and experience your salvation? Repent, this is the Christian life, it's what you're called to do, let's go, you can do it. 
You're loved. Also, without regret. Oh, man. Anybody have any regrets? Your no regrets tattoo? We've all got regrets, deep regrets. The older you get, maybe the more you have. You mess stuff up. You wish, you, you wish you'd done stuff differently. Regrets. How does Jesus take away your regrets? There's a way in which he doesn't. We'll always regret the sins we've done. If we don't regret them at all, it's almost calling them like they weren't sins. But in this context here, Jesus is saying, I have enough to wash that fully clean and even use it for good. I can wash that clean and use it for good. And you have a chance right here, if you've got a deep regret, you have a chance right here, you can repent, you can change the whole color on that regret. You can change everything about it. If you've got a long-term regret in your life and it's lurking over you and you feel so guilty over it, okay, how... How can you repent? First of all, trust it to Jesus. He died for your sins. He's washed it clean. Now, a lot of these regrets have to do with relationships. What can you do different now in your relationship? To where, whatever time you have left on this planet, when you die, you could say, at this point, I don't have any regrets anymore. Because I repented. I repented to Jesus. I repented to this person. It's clean. It's clean. You need a clean slate with somebody? If you repent first to Jesus and then to that person, he can wash away all regrets. Another one is assurance. Look at verse 12. I wrote to you, it's not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order, why did he write to you? In order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to who? To you, you grabbing this? The church needs to see that they were earnest for the apostle. For the apostle, now that's important, right? He's the apostle. He represents Jesus to them, so they they can't know and trust Jesus without trusting the apostle. Unique place that he has in our lives as Christian. That's why we're reading Second Corinthians. But Paul says, I wrote to you so that your earnestness for us, for me, your apostle, might be revealed to you. So this test showed them what team they were on. It showed them who they, were, who they trusted. And their repentance was fruit, like, yeah, this is who I am. This is who I am. And so as we repent, the beauty there is assurance. I'm really a Christian. This is real in my life. I can taste it. I can feel it. I can act on it. I'm repenting right now. I'm close to you, Lord. This is real for me. That's a beautiful thing, assurance. Last one is relationships renewed. I mentioned it a little bit, but it's hard not to see how chapter seven is all about Paul's relationship with the Corinthians. And things got broken and things got ugly. We can all relate to that. I don't know what percentage of the places we need to repent have to do with how we relate to other people but it's probably a lot. And when we hurt one another, ultimately we're sinning against God. It was about him, like David said. But as we come back and know his love and get reconciled to him, guess what the echo of that is going to be? We get reconciled with one another. We repent to one another. And we know healing. Can't we have a culture 
where we're slow to be offended because we know it's hard to say things the perfect way all the time. We know we've messed that up. I've messed that up. Slow to be offended, but we're, but we're quick to realize how we might have offended someone, and we could just not make it awkward, just be repenting. And maybe, maybe it's big, and you're like, I'm not even guessing. I messed this one up. Repentance, repentance. It never hurts to say, I'm sorry, and I really want to change how I did that. And then how, how can the other person respond like Jesus does? What does Jesus say? I forgive you. I forgive you. And man, the warmth in the room when I'm sorry, I forgive you really happens. It's worth it. Repentance is always worth it. Isn't that Paul's point in this chapter? It was grief, it stings, it hurts, but it leads to salvation without regret. Repentance, the real thing, is always worth it. It's sweet. So because you know the love of Jesus, keep repenting. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you've loved us even while we're sinners. You wanna eat with us just like with Zacchaeus. So we wanna hear that good news and repent. We wanna turn to you. We wanna trust you. Lord, help us feel your grace for us. Father, let us feel the righteousness we have in Christ, the forgiveness we have. Lord, we want to repent. Big picture, come to you, trust in you. Give us the courage to do that. And Lord, maybe there's some small R things we need to to deal with, ways we need to repent. Lord, help us to first feel our sin against you, second, to run to the gospel and know your love for us in Christ and his cross, and then get shot out into repentance reconciliation with others. Do this in us, Lord. Give us the courage, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.